everyone. This is Molly Douthit. And David Douthit. Welcome to More Than Hearing, a podcast to encourage preachers to use multiple intelligences in sermons and worship leadership, because there are plenty of ways to reach someone's soul. Today we're covering self-smart and nature-smart for the lectionary selections for the 18th Sunday in Ordinary Time, Year C. The teacher in Ecclesiastes sounds like he needs a nap. The psalmist shares some of the teacher's pessimism, or is it just pragmatism? Paul tells the Colossians to keep their minds on higher things, and Jesus tells a parable about a barn stuffed full of riches. We have some resources you can use to enrich your preaching and worship. Join us. This podcast is based on Dr. Howard Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences. Dr. Gardner suggests that there are multiple ways to learn, process, remember, and understand our world. Each week, centered on the weekly readings of the Revised Common Lectionary, we develop illustrations and special effects using various smarts based on Dr. Gardner's identified intelligences. Over the course of four weeks, we will cover word smart, eye smart, math smart, body smart, music smart, nature smart, people smart, and self smart. You could read more about Dr. Gardner's work by clicking at the link at the top of our webpage, morethanhearing.org. Join us as we explore ways these intelligences can be utilized for a deeper appreciation of God's Word. Then we encourage you to try it yourself. Anytime and any way we can make use of the different smarts, we give people greater access to the Word of God so they can acquire it, process it, and internalize it in ways that make sense to them. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back. We are back from vacation ourselves from a little bit of time in Colorado and from a weekend in Pennsylvania. Uh, We are now in the midst of vacation Bible school. I think we're going to need another two weeks of vacation once this is over. (laughs) Two weeks of nap. Well, at least that much anyway. Uh, Well, we hope you have enjoyed our Encore presentations and have been able to glean some uh, information out of those. We are back today to to, to talk about two of the intelligences. I'm looking at Nature Smart and David is looking at self-smart. Again, you can read all about these different intelligences clicking the resource links at the top right corner of our page at www.morethanhearing.org. And um, so I'm going to start off with a real quick overview of Nature Smart. Nature Smart is the ability to observe, investigate, experiment, and discover the natural world including weather, animals, plants, and geologic structures, essentially everything that's outside. Scripture is full of stories where the geography of the land has played a role. Think like Mount Sinai or the Red Sea or the Sea of Galilee as it was struck by a sudden windstorm while the disciples were out on it. Wind and drought and wildfires and earthquakes and persons being changed into pillars of salt, as well as the natural treasures of the wonderful world being used to build temples and places of worship run throughout the Bible. As you prepare sermons or worship experiences, pay close attention to the way the landscape or the natural order sets the stage for the stories. It will help your nature people immensely. As Molly said, I'm looking at self-smart this week, and according to uh, Thomas Armstrong's book, Multiple Intelligences in the Classroom, self-smart is self-knowledge and the ability to act adaptively 
on the basis of that knowledge. This intelligence includes having an accurate picture of oneself, one's strengths and limitations, awareness of one's inner moods, intentions, motivations, temperaments, and desires, and the capacity for self-discipline, self-understanding, and self-esteem. So if there's anything that uh, is a hyphenated word with self at the beginning, (laughs) that's it. (laughs) Because there you go. Self-smart in the scriptures shows up, I think, I don't know, particularly maybe in Psalms and Proverbs and uh, some of those lamentations in terms of the Old Testament stories and Old Testament books. And, uh, of course, the, the calls throughout scripture to faith and reflection and fidelity and all those sorts of things call us to be aware of our motivations internally. Um, it is, I don't know, there are days when I think that perhaps it's the most severely underutilized intelligence in cultural Christianity in the United States, yep. that we tend to either be uh, overly thinking um, or overly outwardly focused on somebody else's faith life um, and not spending quite enough time maybe on our internal work. but. That's just unless me. you're a contemplative. Unless you're a contemplative, and I wish I, I I have aspirations in that direction. But anyway, go live in a cave somewhere. Huh? Someday. <laughs> yep, there are days. <laughs> Maybe like Friday night, we'll move into a cave after uh, after ABS vacation is over Bible school. There yeah. we go. The gospel lesson for ordinary eighteen year C is Luke. Chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. So Jesus is leading vacation Bible school, and somebody comes up to him and says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. It's not fair. No, okay. That's not actually what's happening. That is what the person says, but it's not in a vacation Bible school uh, setting. Although At least it, is it a doesn't re- say so. Right. But it does sound like a rather juvenile thing for somebody well, to do, to come so. up to an, author- an appeal to an authority figure to uh, uh, mediate in a conflict. Uh, and Jesus pretty much shuts him down and says, no. I'm not doing that. Uh, and tells him to, and tells the uh, the people who are listening, take care, be on your guard against greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions, which then leads him on into telling a story. Uh, it's kind of like Daniel Day Lewis in Lincoln, where you know something oh. happens and he just starts <laughs> telling a story, and some of his staff could just go ah. So anyway, so Jesus tells the parable about the rich man with abundant crops whose stores are chock full and he has an uh, just this ridiculously abundant crop or uh, harvest one year and he doesn't have enough room so he pulls down all his old barns and he stuffs all his new barns and then uh, uh, God says to him you fool this very night your life is being demanded of you and the things you have prepared whose will they be? question. So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. There is so much that can be done with this particular passage, but I'm looking at nature smart. So we're going to kind of look at it from a little different angle. 
Uh, what caught my attention was this idea of abundant crops in verse 16, that the land, the land of the rich man produced abundantly. And so I got to thinking, what are abundant crops? What are the most produced crops in the world? And so I found a, uh, a uh, link that you can go to from Interesting Everything. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, how's that? Uh, a a web a web page called Interesting Everything that has a post that says ten crops that feed the world, mm. which include corn or maize, potatoes, sweet potatoes, mm. yams, mm. which are different, uh, cassava, mm. soybeans, uh, sorghum, plantain, wheat, rice. I wouldn't have expected rice to be that far down. I know, me either, considering it's such a such a huge. Was that in cash order? Or? Uh, yeah, it, I think it was. Wow. Was it anyway? Yeah. So, um, wheat and sorghum may have been part of the crop that the rich man stored in his barn. Uh, probably not rice and probably not sweet potatoes or yams because those are in, uh, native to different parts of the world. Nowadays, you might be able to grow those things in uh, in that part of the world. But at that point in time, when Jesus was telling this parable, it likely was wheat and sorghum. Uh, the Environmental Literacy Council has some recommended resources and links to treaties and farm bills about food and uh, harvesting crops. And according to the Visual Capitalist, uh, the most lucrative cash crop in the world today, marijuana. Yeah. Colorado is raking in billions in taxes since legalizing it. Cocaine and opium are also very lucrative. Uh, the rich man may not have been growing narcotics in his fields, <laughs> but using these examples could be an interesting way to update the parable. Well, that would. Hmm. So then the other thing, oh, uh, and for a special effect for this, um, National Geographic has an interactive map with the geographical location of production for these particular foods, those those foods that I listed. So you can click that link and play with that and, and see where they are most likely to be produced. And then uh, in verse uh, 17 and 19, when he's talking about having his food stored, I got to thinking about food storage. And I found a link at the Food and Drug Administration that has tips for safe storage um, and a an article at a blog called What is Science Magazine that has a short article for the reasons for storing food. Among them are saving on grocery bills, maintaining a healthy diet, and reducing waste. Maybe even reducing your waste. <laughs> and I found an updated Tupperware system called Silo. And do you know what? Tupperware still exists. Well, there you, you can go. find it. And go. Allen's Factory Outlet, I have a link to this, has 15 tips for storing food in a shed. He'll also sell you one. Ah. So there you go. It's kind of the uh, prepper. Uh, the the, the ah. doomsday prep plate. Yeah. Uh, so for a special effect for that, bring in food storage containers. And I realized uh, as I clicked through all of these ideas that the parable has come to life 
as you mm. click through all of these things about storing food and keeping food for a long amount of time. The primary reason for, reason for storing food is to save it for later, having ample goods laid up for many years, right, as Jesus right. says in the parable. Many years may not come, and then what happens to all that stuff in your barn? Will your kids eat the beans that you worked so hard to can? Fair question. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, one of the biggest growth industries in the United States is self-storage. Yes, it is. Which is not nature smart, but it's... Or self-smart. Yeah, but (laughs) kind of goes along. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Well, thinking about it from self-smart, I got to looking at the beginning there with the brother saying, hey, get my brother. Uh, And... um, so that's verse 13 and thought, well, that's a little passive aggressive maybe. And yeah. so I've got a an article that you can take a look at from Psychology Today that's a brief description of passive aggressive behavior. And as I was reading it, I thought, oh, I need to get back into therapy, I suppose. <laughs> It's also a form of triangulation. And we've talked about this in, in past episodes uh, but bring, that's bringing in a third party to an anxiety-producing relationship so that you have somebody on your side mm-hmm. who can uh, carry the load for you, and then you can relax, and they'll be all anxious instead. So I've got an article from Wikipedia that gives some background about that. And those are self-smart because of that internal motivation thing. So... um I went on, went on then. How do you feel when someone tries these sorts of tactics of trying to get you into their fight? Yeah. Let's you and let's you and them fight. Let's you and them fight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, how often do you resort to those tactics yourself? And can you imagine maybe a healthier way of interacting? So that's all uh, some illustration. I don't know. Self-smart illustration, special effect. It gets a little blurry. Mm-hmm. Uh, going on, I call this special effect on verse 15, be on your guard against all sorts of greed. So invite your folks to take some time this week to uh, do some internal inventory to see where, see where you're vulnerable to greed. Is it around cash or maybe cars or gadgets or your house or achievement or admiration from others? What sorts of things do you like to stockpile? And then try to identify where that soft spot comes from and imagine ways that you can then begin to guard against it. Or maybe another way at that is once you've identified your soft spot, try to imagine and discern how you could glorify God with those goods instead of building up your stockpile. Hmm. So the rich man could have glorified God by feeding his community. He could indeed. That would have been better, I think. Mm-hmm. So that that goes along with that, that quote, if you have... Uh, 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 when you have more, don't build a higher fence, build a longer, longer table. table. That's yeah. the one. Yep. Okay, let's go on. The epistle lesson for year C, Ordinary 18, is Colossians 3, verses 1 through 11, working our way through Colossians 
And uh, it begins, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things of earth. And put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, list of sins. And then uh, get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language, etc. And uh, strip off the old self and clothe yourselves with the new self uh, because there is no longer Jew or Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free. But Christ is all in all. So get your priorities straight, people. <laughs> okay, so looking at this by way of self-smart, there's a lot of people-smart stuff in there, but there's a lot of internal work, too, about your motivations and getting your uh, uh, goals set and uh, your behaviors in line. So I started off with uh, verse 2, and this I called this special effect. Um, uh, verse 2, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So I thought you could perhaps lead your folks in a guided meditation, first acknowledging their things on earth, so bringing to mind, leading them to bring to mind their possessions and their interactions and all the things that are going on on earth, and then moving their attention away from those things to Christ and his nature and the nature of God and the love of God that is ours uh, anytime we make ourselves open to it. Mm -hmm. And so um, I have several examples of meditations that you might use from different sources. Um, they're not all on this passage, but they give you a sort of a sense of how you could work it. And, uh, and how guided meditations are supposed to f kind of flow. So I've got uh, one that is from christianmeditationpodcast.com, and uh, it's actually on verses 12 to 14, but again, it gives you the idea here. And it's since it's right close there, it, it, some of the themes are connected. So uh, you can work through that. It's about 20 minutes long, so you wouldn't want to do that necessarily during your service, unless you make that your whole thing, probably. Mm. But um, again, just for the example. Then I've got another one from a website called ChristAudio.com. And this is that's an interesting site. They, they claim to be using um, the most scientifically accurate Christian meditations <laughs> which sounded like a wild conglomerate of, of <laughs> disparate things, but there it is. So um, I listened to a little bit, and, and that, that was interesting too. Uh, theirs is um, explicitly copyrighted, so you can't just use it, mm -hmm. but it will give you, again, a guide. And then another from a website called Encounter, which is uh, uh, loaded with meditation podcasts, and so you can take a look at that. And that's pretty much what I've got is uh, just leading folks in that internal work to move their thoughts to the things that are above. So what have you got for Nature Smart here? Well, I um, 
Was not sure I was going to be able to find anything, frankly, until I got to verse 9. And Paul says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices. And I thought, aha, there we are. And I got to thinking about plants. Uh, plants will abscise or cut away parts of themselves, such as leaves falling off deciduous trees in the fall. Hmm. There, I have a link to the word abscise from uh, Wikiwand, which goes and talks specifically about what that particular process is. Um, I also have another um, link to a a website called Gardening Know-How about plants dropping leaves and why a plant may be losing leaves is not necessarily because it's fall. It mm -hmm. may be because it doesn't have enough room for its roots. It may be shocked from being transplanted uh, poorly. Uh, it may be too wet. It may be too dry. Um, there may be pests or disease on it. So there are a lot of different re reasons why plants will strip off the old. It's it's essentially, it's a self-defense mechanism. Interesting. Uh, this may be, uh, um, okay, I'm going to be talking in, in Nature Smart, in, uh, in the psalm about Nature Smart, about animal awareness. So maybe it might be pushing it a little too far to think that dropping leaves is that defense mechanism the plants use to protect themselves. Uh, it's a hardwired option for moving into the future. Dropping or stripping off old practices of living is also a decision for how we will live going into the future. So you can use okay, plants that works. Yeah, dropping sure. their leaves as an, as an illustration uh, for what Paul might have been talking about. And then for a special effect, just bring in some fall leaves or some dried leaves. So maybe you have a plant that's got a bit of an issue and it's dropping things. You can bring them in and talk about how plants no longer need or sometimes will drop these things as a way of uh, um, protecting themselves. Demonstrate uh, for fall leaves falling off of a tree for that seasonal change. Demonstrate how heavy snow could break a branch that is still leafed out. You might have pictures of trees damaged by an early snowstorm. We used to have that happen sometimes when we lived in Colorado. Sudden, a sudden snowstorm early in the season would catch trees that still were leafed out. So maybe for trees, keeping their old dressing gowns on could be hazardous to their health. So why do we keep our old sinful natures wrapped around us? Good question. That sounds like a self-smart question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go on. The Psalm for Ordinary 18, Year C, is Psalm 49, verses 1 through 12. I didn't actually go look to see how much more of the psalm is left after that. Eight verses after okay, this. Okay, thank you. Goes to 20. So it's about um, two-thirds of Psalm 49. Uh the psalmist is saying to the people to listen, give ear, all inhabitants of the world, high, low, rich, poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom, the meditation of my heart shall be understanding. Uh, going on, why should I fear in times of trouble when the iniquity of my persecutor surrounds me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the abundance of their riches, because they ain't going to help them at all. <laughs> okay, that's a little bit of a paraphrase. A little but... <laughs> bit, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it goes on toward the end to say that the, the, the uh, 
they everybody dies and 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 they leave their wealth to others. Hmm, boy, this sounds familiar. Yeah, I've heard this. Yeah, their graves are their it's almost homes. Like there's a theme building. Exactly, their dwelling places to all generations. Uh, mortals cannot abide in their pomp. They are like the animals that perish. And that is where I finally found a connection to Nature Smart, that last verse. The thought is that, like the animals, we also die. So while uh, beasts of burden, animals out in the wild, they all eventually succumb to nature and mortality, so do we. And so uh, what's the point of accumulating wealth? Because what we have will be left behind. But that got me to thinking, do animals have an awareness of their own mortality? So this kind of changes the equation here at the end of this psalm. We have humans plus animals equals death takes everything. To humans plus animals know what's coming. Mm. So we have an awareness of our mortality. We know that at some point in time we are not going to be. And so for a lot of us, we spend a great deal of our lives making sure that we will be remembered in some way, either accumulating wealth that we can send on to uh, uh, successive generations or making a mark on the world that uh, you know keeps our name uh, alive. So do animals know that they are are, are uh, someday approaching mortality. So raising this question may be way more than this psalm is designed to address, <laughs> uh, but the author does equate our bios life, our living, breathing, heartbeat, respiration, uh, all that sort of stuff, to that of other animals. The psalmist sees no difference between our bios and their bios. So is it too far to suggest that animals might also be cognizant of the zoe life, the life of abundance, the life of rich relationships and connections with other people, the life of knowing that we are prized and and loved and protected by others? It would be an interesting study. I did not take the time to go look, (laughs) but there may be something out there. Well, for self-smart, then, uh, yeah, the the whole question of mortality here is is pretty much the thing, obviously. And uh, if you do look at the other eight verses, they they just keep driving that point a little further. Oh, and so that's further why the lectionary further. committee said, "Okay, we're done yeah. at twelve. This, this is good <laughs> enough. Yeah, get the point. We get it. We yeah. get it. Yeah." Uh, so if you really want to drive it home and you're using this as your primary text, then use the whole psalm, I think, because it really kind of pushes it. And it would fit in nicely with the Luke passage if you if you pair it with that. Um, anyway, for illustration, have you ever noticed the ways that people talk about death without saying the word death? Or dead or died? Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, deceased, passed away, passed to the other side, no longer with us, gone to their reward, joined the choir invisible. You don't hear that one so much anymore, but uh, paid the ultimate price. Or as one insurance company used to use, CTB, that is, cease to breathe. Really? Yes. Can you yes. say which insurance company that no, was? No, I because I don't know. I just know that my dad, who was working 
with another company that you worked with them, had to deal with them, that that was one of the abbreviations they used. Uh-huh. Client CTB. So <laughs> why might it be that we don't speak the name of death? Hmm. And, uh, you know, that should be fairly obvious. We're scared to death of death. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, we we avoid it. And there was a book that uh, we study in seminary, actually, uh, Denial of Death. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I forget. Uh, I do, too. I also moment. forget the name. Yeah. Hang on. Um, Ernest Becker. Ernest Becker. Okay, great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, then that kind of led me to the question, is it more morbid to speak plainly about death or to fear even saying the word? Hmm. Uh, Voldemort. Uh, right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm not sure what the answer to that question is, but... It's probably worth spending some time contemplating. Yeah. And, of course, that's, that's what you do in self-smart. Self-smart. Absolutely. The way we play it, anyway. Then for special effect... Um, invite people to reflect on the, these questions. How do you react when people talk about death? And does the attitude behind it matter? For example, this is very matter-of-fact and pragmatic, uh, the way that it's talking about, hey, we're all going to die. Boom. Just the like animals the animals. Die, the wise die, the fools die. Oh, wait, that's the next one. Anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, everybody's going to die. So... What are you going to do about it? You know, it's very pragmatic that way. Is that more troubling or less troubling than... um, The euphemisms. Right, the euphemisms or, um, you know, talking about death sentimentally Mm -hmm. um, and and those sorts of things or fearfully. There's there's an interesting thing. I I did a paper, I wrote a paper, I think I was in college. Um, about the way that uh, society talks about death and sex. And back in uh, the Victorian era, death, you know, death was, it was right there. And so people were not at all squeamish about it. Mm. Um, I mean, there was a whole series of pictures of people who posed with their dead relatives before they buried them. And so it was very obvious, but sex was taboo. I mean, they covered the legs of pianos. Right, right. <laughs> so in in the yeah, in the in the time Ooh. since then, we've done this, you know, 180 for both of them, and sex is everywhere, and death is shh, 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 shh. right, right. So yeah, cover the dirt. Yeah, at the grave yeah, with yeah. artificial grass. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I've 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 taken to taking a clump of dirt, and when I say ashes to ashes, yeah. dust to dust, I I crumble it and sprinkle it all over the top of the. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and th- there's interesting reactions. Uh, from yeah, people you, when you that can happens. feel the wave go yeah. through the yeah. through Ooh. the. Oh, there's oh. dirt on that, but there will be dirt on that. Yeah. 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 I must kind of see people thinking. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Let's go on. The Old Testament lesson for Year C, Ordinary 18, is Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 2, 12 to 14, and chapter 2, verses 18 to 23. Sure. Uh, Selected (laughs) verses from 1 and 2. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher, all is vanity. And 
Uh, I, the teacher, looked at what God had handed us, and man, it is unhappy business. And I saw all that there is under the sun, and it's vanity and chasing after the wind. I hated all my toil and thought how foolish it must be. And the wise and the foolish, they're all in the same boat. It's all vanity. All our work, all the things that we earn, it's going to end up going to somebody else. So what is the point? Well, that's fun. So, um, <laughs> and of course, it doesn't get much better as you proceed through through that book. But uh, as we as we look at this passage, then you know it obviously has a lot of connection with the psalm in that it's uh, taking that fairly bleak look at. Uh, at the accumulation of wealth as a way of staving off death. Ain't going to work. And that's kind of what's going on here. So um, for self-smart then, got to thinking about what are the options when you ponder your own mortality? I mean, really, what are the options that you can do here? You can accept that you're going to die one day and just be at peace with that. Or you can accept that you're going to die one day and find more meaning in the days that you have because of it. Or you can resent that you will die one day and fight that losing battle against it. Uh, or you can despair that you will die one day and just give up. Uh, and I suppose there are others. There's probably some some shades, some of, shades of in between. between. Those two, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but that's that's kind of it. I mean, those are the broad strokes, anyway. And and you know, I got to thinking about it. the the promise of eternal life can maybe move us more toward the first couple of, of finding peace and meaning. But at the same time, there's a sense in which it's avoiding the question about our death. We're, uh, unless the rapture happens while we're alive, mm -hmm. uh, we're going to die, and mm -hmm. we still have to deal with that. And can the proclamation of eternal life in Christ maybe even lead us to be dishonest about our relationship with death? Hmm. Kind of uh, whistling past the graveyard kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, each of us must evaluate our own faith to see whether we're being accepting of this reality or being escapist mm. um, by pinning our hopes on heaven. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the, uh, a, a story from my own family that my dad on his 90th birthday this weekend, quoted a couple of times, was my great-great-grandfather, David, um, went out uh, into the field in his farm one Sabbath, I think it was a Sabbath morning, declared, my help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth, went back into the house and died that night. Hmm. So, you know, there's, uh, I think there's a sense where uh, he had faith that prepared him for death mm -hmm. without watering down the reality of it, mm -hmm. you know? So, mm -hmm. um, Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. 
I also got to thinking about Hamlet and his pondering of mortality in, in the play of that name, uh, in his soliloquies and ponderings, you know, to be or not to be. And when he's confronted with the skull of Yorick, his, uh, his old friend, alas, poor Yorick, I knew him, Horatio, mm-hmm. you know, so, um, and, and there's, in the arc of that play, there's a lot of growth for him in his relationship to death. So that might be an illustration that you could use. Uh, some word smart there for the literature, of course, but, uh. Um, still dealing with that inter- internal question. Going on to something of a special effect, if you were going to write a soliloquy or a psalm on human mortality, how would that go? And where might you begin? And where might you end? I mean, after all, that is the question. <laughs> how about Nature Smart? Well, two things popped out at me for Nature Smart. Uh, the end of verse 14, chasing after the wind. Koaleth is, is like, eh, this is futilist. Chasing after the wind. How can you chase after the wind? Literally, how can you chase after the wind? You can't see it. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. Modern technology and meteor- meteorology might be able to give you a bit more of a leg up than uh, Koaleth at that point in time, but it's still pretty much a guess. You can see where it's coming, where it's going, but you don't know how long it's going to last or how far it's going to go. Uh, so I got to thinking about wind chasing, and I uh, found something called wind chasers. It is sun, sea, surf, and sky kite surfing in Cape Town, South Africa. Oh, okay. And it's folks that go out on the water with these really impressive uh almost kind of like um, hang glider sorts of things. And they, uh, they're all, you know, they're, they're, they're very well protected with helmets and, and other types of uh, body armor mm-hmm. because they go out on the water and they catch the wind and they fly. Wow. And uh, it's really interesting. I have a link to the website. So if you want to go take a look at it, it's, it's amazing. It's just astonishing. So I wonder if uh, Coleth would have been so sour about chasing the wind if he'd known <laughs> about this kind of stuff. Um, there's also something called a uh, wind chasing, which is running around in the Himalayans. Uh, it's called the wind chasers. Uh, wind chasers is a, a, a race. In the Himalayans, a 70-mile mm. race in the Himalayans, which um, helps uh, th- their focus lies in protecting the ecology and promoting a fitter and health- fitter and healthier lifestyle, as well as sharing India's most diverse cultures and landscapes with people from the world who come to participate in this race, which would make me suck wind as opposed <laughs> to chase wind. Uh, also, um, I found a reference to wind chasing in urban dictionary of all things. This is a little bit of word smart, a mm. uh, person who chases after something that can't be caught or pursue something that is futile right out of Ecclesiastes. Uh, the origin is based on a person who tries to chase the wind in hopes of someday catching it, actually grasping it with his hands. So here's a, uh, a, a, a sample conversation. Yo, you still trying to get with that girl? Nah, man, I'm not a wind chaser. I gave up on her a long time ago after she said no and didn't leave it open. So there's there a you go. urban dictionary. Um, 
So for a special effect about wind chasing, bring in a, a, a smallish kind of kite and an electric fan and practice to figure out how best to fly the kite with the wind from the fan and see how you may need to struggle to get it aloft and keep it there. And once you've got it going, have someone start moving the fan or changing the speed or even turning it off. And and just as a visual demonstration, it's a little bit of eye smart too, but a visual demonstration of how chasing the wind is really just not possible. This demonstrates the capriciousness of air currents and why Q is so fatalistic about running after it. Another thing that kind of caught my attention that might be nature smart is the end of verse 22. What do mortals get from all the toil and strain with which they toil under the sun? And so I got to thinking about what's it like working in the sun? And so I just Googled working in the sun (laughs) and Boy, did I come up with a lot of stuff. Uh, The Cancer Council Society, uh, protecting yourself from the sun, dangers of employees working in the sun from Nova Medical Centers, hazards of working in the sun, keeping your cool, stay safe when you work in the sun. Oh my gosh, all sorts of stuff. So it's tips about uh, toiling in the sun. Um, So there's some nature smart there and a little bit of body smart too Mm. for Mm -hmm. what being out in the hot sun can, can do to you if you're not careful. Well, what a cheerful episode this has been. <laughs> Makes vacation Bible school seem like a breeze, doesn't it? Is. It is. It is indeed. <laughs> we can go deal with those kids tomorrow now. golly. That's it for today's podcast. Please ask questions or leave us a comment on our website, www.morethanhearing.org, or at facebook.com slash morethanhearing, or tweet us at morethanhearing, or email us at connect at morethanhearing.org. If you tried any of these suggestions, or maybe got an idea that you like even better than ours, please let us know what you did and how it went. We would love to hear how using this theory has made a difference in your preaching and worship. Remember to check out the show notes, worksheets, links, and resources at our website. They go hand in glove with the podcast and give you lots more material to work with. Don't forget to subscribe using the links on the website for iTunes, Google Play, Android, or good old RSS. Or point your podcatching software at morethanhearing.org slash feed slash podcast. Help others find us more easily by writing a review at the iTunes store. And of course, you can always share the show with your friends and colleagues. We'll be back with another episode next week. So in the meantime, stay subscribed and be smart. Good production.